Go ahead and get your Bibles out tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians and the chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. History is being made tonight, 50 years. It it seems surreal to stand here and think about being a teenager in this conference. And when I was a teenager in the conference, people who were already grandparents had been teenagers at the conference. And now I have a son at the conference. This is his first uh, youth activity, first youth conference as an actual delegate. And I think about the millions upon millions of lives that have been and will be impacted because of the past 50 years of this conference. It is safe to say, and I would even group in all denominations, all different kinds of churches, I believe as I pray and think back and talk to people like my dad and others about the impact of this youth conference, the seeds that were sown and the harvest grown from this conference, that this conference, to the glory of God and God only, has impacted the world greater than any other youth conference really in history. The amount of churches, the amount of missionaries, and then all of the multiplication from that would be staggering if we had a week to just show it on the screens. And all the connections that even the leaders and those that have gone to heaven, they don't even know the touch, the impact from around the world, from small towns, little places in southeast Iowa, towns that I know that they don't know but that has been reached by bus captains, bus workers, former bus riders from the Chicagoland area, people that God has stirred their heart. When I sat on a platform and I came up at the end of the service and I said, I will be that one. I was scared. I was telling myself that I didn't really mean it and that I couldn't fill my dad's shoes or anybody else's shoes, but God did a work in my heart. It was the Holy Spirit of God that's at work. And that's what's happening tonight, and I'm just so honored and really overwhelmed to be a part of 50 years. Imagine going to the baseball Major League Hall of Fame, or really any sports Hall of Fame. Imagine walking in and and looking back at the greatness of the sport, right? And all of a sudden, out of the display walks Babe Ruth. And tonight we have Brother Eddie Lapina. All 50 years he's been serving been a part of this youth conference. That's pretty incredible. And I know we've clapped for him, but I just think we need to recognize that again. The Babe Ruth of youth conferences. Let's give him a big round of applause tonight. To think about Brother Jerry Ross, the impact that he's had on our lives and probably everybody here through not only his preaching, his testimony, but the resources and stay in the castle and the teenage years of Jesus Christ and many others. And to think about Brother Reno Likens and the years and years I visited his church when my dad was preaching years ago. And I got to set in teen church and he had a heart and a passion and a love for those teenagers. And I was only in seventh or eighth grade and just in 2020. Uh, As an adult, I got to go to Indian Creek Baptist Camp, and I sat in the back with tears in my eyes before I preached, looking up at that same man so many years later, still with the heart of love and of care and of passion. And I'm just truly overwhelmed, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do. When memories of the past supersede visions of the future, death comes. And so may we be grateful for the past 50 years, but may we say that if God does not come back in the next 50, and I truly believe that he will, 
that we are experiencing the next page in the book of history. I want to tell you the reason why I'm here this week. You say, well, Brother Abdel, my friend, Brother Abdel Judah, a spirit-filled man, he invited me, uh, somebody else invited me to this conference. I was up at a little chapel um, matter of fact, some, a few of you, just a small group of you were there, but the Abdel Judah asked me to preach at summer camp uh, just last year, not long ago. And I walked into the chapel and he had done the prayer hands. How many of you have ever seen the prayer hands before? Raise your hand. Many of you, especially if you're from here. The prayer hands is where he cuts out uh, hands and you, on first night of camp or conference or whatever it is, uh, you fill out your burdens, your prayer requests, and you tape them to the wall. And then each evening they have a time of prayer and you go pick somebody's hands. You don't know who they are, but you put your hands on those prayer hands and you pray for one another. Well, I was in that little chapel up there in northern Michigan, and I was just uh, walking uh, the chapel praying for, I was just there just to preach one morning, and, and, and was praying and asking God uh, for the message, and I began to, out of curiosity, read the prayer hands. And I've always, because God has given me so much, and a mom and dad who love me, and conferences like this, I've, I've had a burden, I, I want... I want young people to see how real it is and how good it is. And I just know that there's only two kinds of people. The people that, the young people that love him because they know him and the young people that would truly love him in authenticity if they knew him. And I was thinking those thoughts and just reading the hands when all of a sudden I found myself on the ground. I was on my knees just literally weeping and crying. I didn't plan to. I didn't think about it. Uh, Brother Abdal, it just, it just overwhelmed me as I read about what Satan is doing in our culture and especially to our young people, to you. And I saw every hand. It had a story. I would like to share some of those stories, but no doubt some are in the room tonight. And it was just overwhelming to me, the brokenness, the burdens, many times for self and other times for brothers or sisters or parents. And it was so heavy. Literally, I, I, I wondered if I'd have a heart attack. I was like, oh my God, this is so horrible. This is, I mean, the burdens, uh, that the stories. And then I thought about how good God is and how God is ready and willing and he wants to raise up this generation to bear one another's burdens and to reach our own generation. And I cried out to God and, and I have seven children. I have a church and a wife and God uh, has blessed me. We have a schedule and all of these things. But I found myself praying. I said, God, if you will help me help these who have written the burdens on their hands and those that they represent. And all the teenagers, maybe Chicagoland teenagers, I wasn't thinking of here. I just said, God, teenagers, wherever they are, I love them. I care about them, even though I've never met you, many of you. And I said, God, if you will allow little old me to help in some little way. It wasn't long after that you called me and I was like, whoa, I know why. He thinks he called me to preach here tonight, but somebody else called me. And I love you and I care about you. And I know that the men on the platform, these men, they have a lifetime of proving it, of proving it, that they care about you and they love you. Lord has laid this truth, these, this message upon my heart. I almost said these messages. How many of you ready here? Four or five, just right in the first slot. First Corinthians chapter number 10. First Corinthians chapter number 10. I want to ask you to do three things tonight. Would you please? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars have been spent and will be spent. You have no idea what's about ready to come. 
If you've never been here before, uh, you're really going to be blown away. If you've been here before, there's a lot of tricks up the sleeve around this place, and they are here to entertain you, to feed you, to wow you, to epic you. And they ask, and we ask, and I ask, in the name of the Lord, just for you to do three things. Number one, pray. A young person that prays right now, you can pray in about two to three seconds that you will boldly listen. Pray. Would you pray right now in your heart? Right now, say, dear Lord Jesus, please speak to my heart. Dear Jesus, I'm listening. Secondly, pay attention. And it will cost you something. The grumbling in your stomach, the distraction of a friend next to you. You're going to have to pay something, but would you pay attention? Would you pay attention? And then thirdly, for the whole conference, including right now, would you participate? Uh, you need to help me, okay? You say, man, I, I, this is my first time. I just got saved. We have people in our group right over here. I'm so glad that our church is here. But they just got saved. They just got invited, like last week, and, uh, and, and, and rode the bus. And, and, and you might be that way, and, and you're saying, this is for everybody else. We need you to help us preach. Pray, pay attention, and participate. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 as we stand to our feet. Uh, if you cannot hear, uh, you cannot make out the words clearly. Would you raise your hand? Can everybody hear? If you cannot hear, you just cannot make out the words. Raise your hand if you will. Can everybody hear okay? Is it loud enough out there? Great, wonderful. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And let's just jump in to verse 4. And they all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This is speaking of the Israelites. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown. Now I'm going to pause, and I want you to say it out loud and together to make sure that we're in the same place. And we're seeing what we're reading. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our... Oh, that was okay, but let's do it again. Now these things were our... To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Now he's speaking to us today in 2022, my generation, us, we, tonight. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now it's speaking about one incident in these verses seven and eight. Matter of fact, this whole passage here in the Old Testament. There are texts that just preach themselves. They need no commentary. And really, this is one of these texts as we continue in verse number 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also, as some of them also murmured, uh, and, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now notice verse number 11. Now all these things happened unto them for... They were to show, it was, a, it was an illustration, it really happened, but it was for you and I today, and they are written for our admonition. That's what I want to do tonight. An example, an admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Who is that? That's us tonight. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's me tonight. Growing up in a Christian home. That's you. Maybe riding a bus. Growing up in a Christian home. You've been to this conference many times. Let he which thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall. 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. You and I may not be, but He is, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Notice verse number 7. The Bible says, neither be idolaters. He's saying, put God first. Don't let anything get in the way of an authentic, real, spirit worship, spirit believing on God, in God, following God. Don't be idolaters. He speaks over it many, many times. Following your flesh, yourself, uh, selfishness, and the, the noise, as Brother Abdel, uh, Brother Judah mentioned, the white noise. He said, don't be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written... The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to what? Play. Father, bless us, I pray, as we bring this truth tonight. Lord, speak to us. Hide us behind the cross. Teach us something, I pray. Thank you for these teenagers. We love them so much. Our hearts are just so filled with love. We're excited about all the fun, the food, the excitement. Lord, the truth. That's what we need now. and We need to respond to it. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For every New Testament truth... There is an Old Testament picture. The Old Testament picture is in Exodus chapter 32. Turn there as quickly as you can. And this is youth conference and we use the Bible. We still believe in the Bible. Exodus chapter 32, we turn to the Old Testament picture for the New Testament truth that we were learning about for today. Exodus 32 tells the story. And I want you to follow it along because I want you to see what was going on and taking place during this time that the New Testament just told us about. Exodus chapter 32 is the Old Testament picture. And when the people saw, Exodus 32 verse 1, that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses... The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Stop and think about that. We don't know. We want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and made a pro- and Aaron made a pro- proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the golden calf. Is that what it says? I'm going to read again. And, and, and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the calf. What does it say? Remember the third P, participate. What, is, what does it say? And, and, and tomorrow is a feast to who? The Lord, but they just made a golden calf. Yeah, let, let's make an altar before the golden calf. But let's also make a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and they went to church. They had a youth conference. They listened to the preaching. They offered burnt offerings. They, they did what they were supposed to do. They brought peace offerings. And the people, verse 6, sat down to eat and to drink and to rose up and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly quickly out of the way which I commanded them. It was a crucial time in the history of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. 
An incredibly crucial time. As a matter of fact, what was taking place on that mountaintop was the most crucial of their history. And at the most crucial uh, crossroad of their history, it was examined and then given to us as an admonition and an example and an example, a showing, an illustration, a picture that during this crucial time, during all of this, they were just playing games. They were just playing games. I see three things in this text that they were playing games with. For those of you that make notes, but please don't write much. Because I want God to speak to your heart and I want it to be on your heart and not on the paper. Number one, they were playing games with the goodness of God. Secondly, they were playing games with the greatness of God. And thirdly, they were playing games with God's game plan. The first thing that we see is that they were playing games with the goodness of God. See, Moses is on top of this mountain for two reasons. He's up there to receive instructions about the sanctuary. The sanctuary is also known as the tabernacle, which means God, the creator, as you so well shown in your media uh, uh, team, uh, uh, with all of the universe and the stars and the bigness of the world, the billions upon billions of sun, suns that can fit into just one of the stars that they found, and God is the creator of all, and the big of the universe and we see that he's up there saying I want to come down and dwell with my people I want to talk to them I want to meet with them and I want to set up a way to do that just as God through this conference you're here right now for more than the pizza you're about ready to enjoy more than the games more than the fireworks more than all the epicness God it's not us it's God saying I want to tabernacle with you I want to dwell with you. I established the cross as the lighthouse, as the beacon for you. As they, the, when they said they drank of that spiritual rock, which is Christ, they were looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And they had to, by faith, listen by faith to what Moses, uh, that God had appointed to bring them the message, was saying God loves you and he wants to meet with you and he can talk to you. You may not see him, you may not feel him, he might I feel like he's way up on some mountain somewhere. He's out there and I'm in a real building, in a real church, in a real auditorium, but he's still trying to tabernacle with you. He's still trying to meet with you because he loves you. He cares about you. Secondly, not only were, were, was Moses up there receiving instructions about the sanctuary, the tabernacle, he was up there receiving uh, the statutes, also known as the ten what? Commandments. And this was God's ultimate gift to mankind. And so often we think that Christianity is a minus sign. Somehow it takes away from us. And we've got to, you know, uh, trudge this dark and lonely and hard trail. No, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible says my yoke is easy. It's purpose-filled. It's joy-filled. It's a work that you enjoy and doing. And he's up there giving the Ten Commandments as a gift. Oh yeah, if I get saved, if I really sell out, if I go boldly, if I'm courageous, if I say no to apprehension, then I've got to kind of take a step back. I'm going to lose something. You know, I won't have that job or I won't have that money or I won't have that girl or I won't have that car or I won't have that guy or I won't have whatever. That's a lie. We're so ignorant. I'm with you. Many times I sit there and I'm like, okay, yeah, I preach. You know, man, if I get right with God, you know, what, what am I going to go home from this conference and have to do? 
And yet you could pick out any one of those Ten Commandments and reveal in our little finite mind when we don't trust God uh, how ignorant we are, how dumb, can I say how stupid we are because all of them was God's gift. You could pick out any one of the ten like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, I guess you can't do that. You know, I don't have anything and I can't take from anybody else. That was God's gift of ownership so I couldn't just come and pick whatever I wanted. It's God's gift of ownership. And God was up there. I need a cell phone, glasses. God was up there, are you listening? God was up there giving the gift of ownership to you. God was up there giving abundant blessings to each and every one of us. And during that time, I don't know whose is whose, during that time, the people of God were down the mountain and because they didn't have faith to listen, because they didn't have faith to believe, they were playing games in a crucial moment with the goodness of God. We had a grill out with the alleys last night and we had the chicken on the grill and it smelled amazing and it looked amazing and I was hungry and we were getting ready to gather everybody and eat and as I walked to the table outside, uh, we lived kind of on a farm and down by the water and there were flies literally swarming the food. I mean flies everywhere. Now, I didn't say anything, but I'll be honest with you, the appetizing chicken that I was just so ready to dig into, it lost some of its enticement. It lost some of its flavor mentally. And God is good, but the devices, the flies, if you will, of this world, the heartaches and the trials come and they're landing on our view, stay with me, of the goodness of God and the chicken was still just as good as it was ever been, but we've allowed, my wife went over there and she just started waving them away and I thought that's what we need to do at FBC Youth Conference 2022, start waving the flies away from the goodness of God so we can see him as good. Went to Bible college and Hal Anderson was dating a girl and Thought she was the one and we were not engaged, nothing like that, but she just started to talk and I went home and told my dad about it. My dad said, she's not the one. And immediately the goodness of my dad and the goodness of God was blinded. And my anger rose up and resentment, which happens to every young person in this room, rose up in my heart and I thought, you're already married. I'm trying to do the will of God. I'm trying to do what is right. What more do you want? A lot of young people battle that resentment like I'm doing, I've put in my time, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and I rose up anger, and, and, and I almost ruined my life, had it not been for the grace, and the mercy, and the powerful word of God convicting me, and causing me to fear, but in that moment, the reason why anger and resentment rose in my heart, was because I could not see the goodness of God, I could not see God's grace, and God's mercy, and we live now in a generation that the major news articles like CNN and online says we now live in the saddest generation that has ever lived. They went into a public school and they just, just a nice middle class just interviewed the students just, just at random. We just went and began to interview the students and just asked this question. I want you to just take just 30 seconds or so and, and, and listen to the question that was asked and the answers, if you will. Probably right now. Wow. Um, mm. How long ago were That's you depressed? 
When were you last depressed? Turn it up a little bit, please. Why do you get depressed on your birthday? I didn't have a lot of friends. I just feel like I don't have a lot of friends. When were you last depressed? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday, I guess. What happened? Uh, I don't like the way I look. Like, I don't like my face, I guess. When were you last depressed? Two months ago. A couple weeks ago. A couple days ago. Last night. This morning. An hour ago. Right now? Right now. Right now. Do you talk to people about it? Um, not really. It's hard to admit that you're not okay. I just kind of get in my feels a bit. If I always felt, like, conscious about what I was doing. You just have no motivation. It's difficult to wake up in the morning. I sit in my room, and I only come out when I need to eat or go to the bathroom. Depression has its, like, waves. Sometimes they can be smaller, and sometimes they can be bigger. Sometimes it just happens. The days kind of blend together. There was, like, a huge just weight on you. And you feel like there's no way out. I ran away. When were you last depressed? When I got my heart broke through my breakup. It was just really hard to like feel this type of way for someone. And this whole year's just been crap. I'm all alone, like it's not good for me. I'm really terrible. <laughs> my best friend got her very first boyfriend and she kind of went off with him and I just felt very abandoned. I lost a lot of friends. It's hard like when you have this whole support system and those people just kind of um, go on their own ways and everything. I don't think I've talked to them since two years ago. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I'm tearing up now. What would you want to say to that person? I, um... I mean, I miss having you as a friend. Yeah. I got bullied, and that really took a toll on me. I got jumped. It was just, it was a lot going on. You got what? Uh, jumped. It wasn't, like, it was pretty, like, why'd I have to go through that? But at the same time, like, stuff happens, <laughs> you know. When were you last depressed? Yesterday. When were you last depressed? Today. Got unlucky with the depression gene. I have bipolar. I do take antidepressants. Anti anti-anxiety medication. Do they help? I can't remember what it was like when I wasn't on them. I started taking them in sixth grade, but I think they do. The world of a difference from being just like hyper aware, stressing about everything to just feeling like I can like do normal day-to-day -day activities like everyone else. When you are feeling depressed, what do you do? Sit there and wallow in self-pity. <laughs> Try and forget about it. Sleep. Netflix. Video games, honestly. I dance. Listening to music. The world doesn't have Jesus. They don't have Jesus. I don't think any of them knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And yet the sad thing to me, Brother Torres, is there's a room full, not all, there's a room full of kids here far more depressed than 50 years ago at youth conference, five years ago at youth conference. Why? Because something's happened and there's a cold, dark corner of your heart. Maybe somebody touched you in a way that was criminal or wrong. Or maybe you heard a mom and dad fighting. Maybe you have hypocritical parents. Maybe somebody in your church has hurt you. And it has clouded or blinded your view of the goodness of God. You know, I was reminded right before we came over here, uh, Brother Judah asked me to come to his office, and, and uh, we ran up to his office, and he was waiting for his wife to bring him his shirt. I'm in trouble on this one. And uh, I, literally, I, I started crying. I teared up as I watched him and Brother Ross. As they looked down the window, he says, this is my favorite spot. I get a lookout. And he began to pray for and began to talk about his burden for all the young people down below, just right here, just before we started. And you guys were playing uh, the corn toss and putt-putt golf, and I I thought about all the cares that they were carrying down below, not knowing that there were youth leaders up top with a broken heart. I snapped this picture and texted them right before we walked over here, looking down, and I said, this is what it's all about. 
There is a God in heaven. You didn't know that he was up there loving you and praying for you and crying for you and burden for you far more uh, than any game, far more than any kind of event, far more than any kind of entertainment. There was a burden that I love them and I want God to get a hold of their life. And there is a God standing in the shadows and he's calling out to you in a still small voice to say, listen, bring your brokenness. It's okay. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to super glue it. You don't have to fix it. Just bring it to an altar and say, God, it's me. Nobody knows my name. I sit in a corner. I sit in the back of the bus. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm bitter. I've got resentment. Nobody understands me. I'll never be a preacher boy. I'll never go to college. I don't care. Fill in the blank. Come to the altar and say, God, but tonight I believe one thing. I believe that you are good and you are up there and you have a plan for my life and you love me. They were playing games with their generation. There are many people here tonight that will never know what it's like to be in a home with drugs and alcohol. There are many young people like myself uh, that will be here tonight and you don't know what it's like to go through a nasty, nasty uh, uh, seeing your parents divorce. There are many young people in this room tonight, uh, they've heard uh, the Lord, uh, John 3.16, and yet people all around the world have never heard Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The lost and dying world out there, if they knew what you were getting tonight, what we were getting, they would crave it, they would want it. There are people by the millions, if not billions, sitting in churches hearing a false doctrine. They don't have the Bible. And, and, and unfortunately, America today, in our worldly uh, leftist woke uh, uh, society, in our American evangelical churches, uh, they don't have the truth. They've got entertainers. They've got people that will just tell them whatever they want to hear so it's cool and they'll have a bigger crowd next year. And yet you sit here with the truth. You sit here with people willing to open the Word of God and tell you what God says and point you to the cross and point you to His goodness and point you to things Uh, that Jesus laid out, that God laid out, that would radically transform our lives. We have been given so much. I mean, if all we did was sing about the cross, if all we did was talk about the cross, if all we did was pray about and think about and meditate on the cross, it would be enough. And yet we are literally spoon-fed Christianity. We're given so much. How dare you, how dare you come to the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana to this youth conference and walk out of there and live your life for yourself? How dare you? How dare I take my life and just do whatever I want to do? Selfish Christianity. Pastor the church the way I want to pastor it. Lead my family the way that I want to lead it. Choose whatever Bible that I want to choose. Instead of saying, oh my God, what is it that you have given to me to hold high, to carry the torch, to march and go boldly into the darkness? You have no right to do your own thing. You have no right to go your own way. You have no right to dwell in your own brokenness and lick your own wounds without bringing it to Jesus and saying, okay God, he says that the Bible says that God cares and God loves and God knows, so tonight I'll bring it. Tonight I'll bring it. They were playing games with the goodness of God. Secondly, they were playing games with the greatness of God. The greatness of God. Here they said in Exodus chapter number 32, And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. What is wrong with these people? 
Listen carefully. What's wrong with these people? Do they not know who brought them out of Egypt? They're literally mocking him without even knowing they're mocking him. And here's what scares me and convicts me is, I believe that they are a lot like I get sometimes. They, they bring God down to their level. What's wrong with me? Have you ever said, what's wrong with me? I can spend an hour getting ready in front of the mirror because I'm going to be at youth conference around the boys, but I can't spend 10 minutes preparing my inner self, my inner man, to, to, to present myself before an almighty God. What's wrong with me? I can walk up at the putt-putt golf or, the, or, or work or at Chick-fil-A or wherever you are and ask a girl for her digits or, or for a Snapchat or whatever. I can ask that, uh, but, but, but yet I can't tell somebody about Jesus. What is wrong with me? That's when it's revealed that we're really playing games with the God who created all of this, who created all of the universe, and we bring him down to our level and we say, oh, how does this happen? How, how do I come to a place where I'm playing games with God? I'm going to illustrate it. My time is almost up. I'm going to illustrate it really quick this way, and I want you to see it really, really fast. I want you to see this, okay? What happens? How do we come to a place where we bring God down to our level and we play games with God? Here's what I want. I need a youth leader. Matter of fact, Brother Ross, you be the devil, all right? That's not a good fit. You be the devil. And then let's see here, uh, Brother Torres, you be the world. He's pretty worldly. All right. And then uh, we're going to get a Christian. I'm going to have this guy right here uh, sitting beside Miss Rachel. Okay, no, behind you. Behind you. Come on up here. Run up here as fast as you can. And he's going to be uh, the Christian, okay? Uh, oh, that isn't a guy. All right, a girl. Sorry about that. You know what? I have to have a guy. Go on back down. I couldn't tell. My eyesight's horrible up here. All right, right here. Why don't you come on up here? Right here. But, but yes, come on up here as fast as you can. I want you to see this. It'll stick in your mind. Why they were playing games with the greatness of God, the God of the universe, the God writing his finger into the tables of stone, pouring out his love, his grace, his mercy, his plan. So here's the Christian, that's you and I, okay? But then every Christian has selfish desires. When I got saved, my flesh didn't get saved. This is what happened to the children of Israel, dancing naked around the calf in their big rock concert. Okay, my selfish desires. One day this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise. Thank God I'll be glorified. No, no sin uh, 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 pulling uh, that my old, the members. The Bible says we ought to mortify our members, the body, the eyes, the flesh. The body is, is being drawn to the world. And so I need, I need a big dude. I mean, I'm mean a big, big, huge, strong guy, an adult. Where's the, where's the biggest guy? All right, they're pointing. Come on up here. Come on up here. Uh, who, the guy behind, the first, yeah, come on up here. Run, run, run. As fast as you can. Fast as you can. All right. Okay. All right. And then we have the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God was up on the mountain. They couldn't see him. They saw the effects when Moses came down, but they could not see him. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Now we're going to call, how about a seventh grader? I got a seventh grader. This little guy right here, right? Go down that road. Yeah, you're pointing to yourself. Run up here as fast as you can. The Holy Spirit of God. Here's what's happening. The Bible says that we can limit the Holy Spirit of God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. They did it. They were playing games. And how many, hundreds of thousands, a hundred and however many it was died. A bunch of them died, all right? Go stand right over here beside the Christian. Now, I want you guys to link arms as quickly as you can. I want you to link arms. So, all life long, all week long before he gets to youth conference, he is feeding, where'd the flesh go? Oh, the flesh is over. Yeah, you're supposed to be over here. You, you moved down. 
All week long, he is feeding the flesh because the devil is coding the world. The devil's the prince of the power of the air. He's in charge of the culture. So the devil is programming everything. The music, the dress, the media, the movies, the attitudes, the draw, the pull, the money, the materialism. He's coding the world. The world, here's our adversary, all right? Here is our appetite, okay? Our attraction. Here's our appetite, the flesh. Okay, our appetite sees the attraction. He's pretty attractive. And... uh, He wants what the world has because the devil is really, really good, the Bible teaches us. And the Christian is born again. We read it in the text. Man, they had drunk from this rock. That was Christ. They wanted to do what is right. They had followed Moses. They had left Egypt. Thank God for that. They want to do what is right. But they had been limiting. They had not been feeding the Spirit of God in their life. They had been listening to murmurers. They had been listening to the media of this world. The music the media, the materialism of this world. And the Spirit of God, though I'm not messing with the sovereignty of God, God is great and God is wonderful, but the Bible says that, that uh, He could do no great work there because of their unbelief. They had been listening to the flesh. They had been following the selfish desires. And the first time that a little bit of doubt came, notice they turned aside quickly. Moses delayed. I mean, this guy, Moses brought them out of Egypt. They had seen the waters part. How could it happen? The first time temptation came. They tempted Christ. We read about it, 1 Corinthians 10. The first time doubt came. The first time heartache came. Watch what happens. The devil pulls on the world. The world pulls on the flesh. The flesh pulls on the Christian. And I want you to pull this way. You just remain neutral. Ready? Doubt comes. Three, two, one. I can't see God. I can't feel God. Go ahead and pull. Who do you think is going to win? Come on, guys. Pull that way. Pull that way. We didn't practice. All right, so hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He falls. He messed up. He went the wrong direction. He went left. What happened? Your testimony's ruined. Your good name's ruined. We love you. We want you to come back. We don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. What is wrong with me? Paul says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Oh, wretched, not thing that I've done, but oh, wretched man that I am. So center back up. So he decides, the Christian decides, at Youth Conference 2022, I am going to start denying the flesh. I'm not going to listen to my desires. When everybody says, hey, where's Moses? It doesn't work anymore. God's not real anymore. I don't even know if there is a God anymore. You know what? I prayed a prayer when I was a little kid, and hopefully I meant it. Not a big deal. Hey, we stop all of that, and we say, I want an authentic, real, pour my heart out, pour my prayer out, pour my commitment out throughout all the messages, throughout all the music, throughout all God speaking to us, I am going to listen. Go ahead and switch places, you two. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to say yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Now, wait a minute. He has starved the flesh. Like the story of the black dog and the white dog. The man took him to a fight and he had everybody bet on the dogs. And if he said the white dog would win, he would and the black dog would lose. The next week they come back and they place their money on the white dog. And he said, no, 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 no. Tonight the black dog wins. They said, not possible because the white dog won so well last week. Huh? Nope. If he said the black dog would win the next week, the black dog beat the white dog. They said, how are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. Finally, they showed up to his house and they threatened him. They said, if you don't tell us how you are doing this, you're not giving signals. We can't figure it out. How do you call it? How do you know which one would win? And they win so definitively. He said, easy. If I want the white dog to win this Friday night, I starve the black dog all week long and I feed the white dog. 
He says, if I feed the white dog and starve the black dog, the white dog always wins and the black dog always loses. And next week, if I want the black dog to win, I starve the white dog all week long and I feed the black dog and the black dog always wins. And that's what we are doing. We barely stand a chance with the media. We barely stand a chance with the attitudes, with the culture, with the apprehension. We barely stand a chance, uh, uh, us preachers here, uh, we barely stand a chance preaching the Word of God until somebody stands up and says, I will say yes, I'll make every day a yes day. I will listen to the Holy Spirit of God and I will obey. I will pray. I will participate. I will pay attention and I'll allow God to work in my life. And the power of no becomes a real principle in our life. And we say no when we see that girl walk by young men uh, and she's not dressed right we say no instead of just fulfilling whatever we want to fulfill with our eyes Uh, we say no young ladies to gossip and slander and doubt and bickering and backbiting and depression and darkness uh, that we bring on ourselves we say no no we put the word of God in we walk with him daily we read it we look at the cross we listen to those songs that song would bless you that song that was that was God standing at the window looking down with tears saying I love you amazing grace amazing love and so now the devil's still the devil the world's still the world but the flesh does not have the power because paul says we've mortified it we keep it under subjection and so now i want you to pull him on the count of three you guys pull this way on the count of three now moses has gone up the mountain you're doubting god you can't see him he's not very real to you it's been a long time since you've had a meaningful walk with god and you're just like i'm just going through the motions And you're about ready to fall spiritually. Watch what happens. Ready? One, two, three. Temptation comes. Go ahead. Come on and pull. Oh, sorry, devil. You didn't win this one. Sorry, world. Sorry, flesh. I know you wanted to. You wanted him so bad. But you didn't win. Because this young man saw the greatness of God instead of the greatness of flesh. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know what the apostle Paul said? He said it's Jesus Christ. It's worshiping him in spirit and in truth and it's turning to him only. Last but not least, they were playing games with the game plan of God. They were playing games with the game plan of God. See, God had a greater game the game of life. You say, we shouldn't call it that. Paul did. But he said, I'm not playing games like these were playing games. I'm not fighting as one that beateth the air. He said, I'm running to obtain. I'm fighting to hit. I'm going in boldly. I'm not playing games. I'm all in. I am real. And God says, I had a game for them. I had a race for them. I had a life for them. And notice verse number 8 of Exodus 32. The Bible says that they messed it up. Here's what the Bible says. They have, God said it. Moses, they've corrupted themselves. They've corrupted themselves. God had a purpose for them, but they corrupted it. And God has a plan for your life. I know it sounds cliche. You've heard it at every conference you've ever been to. But if you ever start believing it, and if you ever enter into the will of God, which is just simply the wants of God for your life, 
Say, God, what is it that you want? I'll open your word. I'll listen to the preaching. I'll obey. I'll say, yes, Lord. We will see God's game plan for our life realized. My grandma grew up in poor West Virginia. She had nothing. Once a year, she got a nickel. She could take that nickel to the old fair. This is many, many, like 80 years ago. And she could spend that nickel on one thing. She could buy a little piece of food or candy, or she could do something on the midway. Sometimes there was entertainment. And one year in particular, she tells, told about often how she took that nickel and she's walking down wondering. She had waited all year long. Her friends had run off to see what they could find and she was looking around. She saw a man crying out, Hey, Queenie Queen, the mother of a thousand babies. Queenie Queen, the mother of a thousand babies. And she said, I, I love babies. And people in those days had many, many children and she loved to hold them. She had many siblings, eight or nine siblings. And she says, I, I want to see this. How is there a thousand? She was gullible. She didn't know. How uh, is this, you know, a thousand babies? So she walks up the, the wooden plank and the guy standing there in the top head said, thank you, young lady, I'll take that nickel. And she walked in what looked like an above ground pool and there was wood built up around it and everybody was packed in, leaning over, looking down into this pool and she worked her way in so excited, giving her nickel up, working her way in. And she looked over and, ah! and ran right out of that tent in the midway. What she hated the most was snakes. She lived in West Virginia. They were dangerous. And inside of that pool was a large mother snake with a thousand little baby snakes writhing all over. And she got outside and she told her son, my dad, she said, I spent that which was most precious to me on that which I hated the most. Sin fascinates, and then it assassinates. You give a boy, a 14-year-old boy, a, a phone, and there's something like TikTok on there. They do not even realize that it is satanically programmed with algorithms that knows how old you are, spending two seconds, three seconds, and it'll start so slight because of the progression, so there's no shock and awe. Do you like this? Do you see this? They even know whether you touch it or not, whether you whether you interact with it or not, across platforms. And in less than 30 days' time, they've brought you to a place that would have shocked you and possibly even made you throw up. Ruining the game plan that God has for your mind, your heart, your purity, your life. And he does it across the spectrum, whether it's the lust and the physical vision world for the guys, or the emotional relational world for the young ladies. And it's all a ploy to t come into this very room and to destroy. Think about who we're talking about in Exodus 32. To destroy God's game plan. I was in 11th grade. I had gone to all of these conferences, heard many, many messages. And I sat there in the back. I was there with my brother-in-laws just to sing for the conference, for the, for the camp. It was a small little church camp, only about 30 or 40 people there. And Brother Mark Swanson got up and began to preach. Who will be the one? And I don't remember the whole message, but I remember that God was saying, you don't have an authentic walk with me. I was born again. Some of you may not be, and you'll, you'll miss all of this until you get it settled. And he talked about the same type subject, not same message, but same type subject. And he got to the end and he said, and here's what's worse than you just ruining your game plan. You are destroying your generation." The next thing I knew, I was down on an altar. I was sitting in the back. I was the cool dude that was only there to sing. I wasn't a part of all the other campers, like some of you feel like. You know, I don't know how, how we feel like that we're not. Everybody in this room, if you've got a heartbeat, we're all a part of this. We all have a decision to make. And I found myself weeping and crying. 
He was playing a song that night that has the sirens of our generation going off. The depression, the darkness, the shootings, the, the, all of the things that are happening around in our generation. It's only grown so much since that day in the 11th grade. I had just been to Youth Conference Hammond, and they had that same theme, and God just sucker-punched me. He was just waking me up. He was showing me that he was the man. He was the God standing, looking down upon my life. And the song was simply entitled Watchmen. They're going to play it for invitation. That'll be our invitation when it's over. Uh, it's done. Brother Abdel or Pastor Wilkerson will come. I want you to make a decision tonight. I want you to make a decision that you, by faith, are going to bring your brokenness to God's goodness. That you're going to bring your faith to God's greatness. And that you're going to bring your surrender to God's game plan.